So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Haggai as the kids are going out to Tab Express. It is about 10 degrees hotter up here, and so I'm going to take this off. Anxiety is, is everywhere. It comes in all shapes and sizes. But anxiety at its root is part of the curse. It is the result of sin as it has entered into the world. It creates within us a thirst for wholeness. The anxiety that we feel presses upon us, and we feel very incomplete. We've, we have a, a need and a thirst for wholeness because we, we know our imperfections, we know our inabilities to control the world around us, and so we feel very anxious and insecure. We feel very incomplete. I was introduced to the idea of a thirst for wholeness a number of years ago, that we have as people, I, I, I came across this thought through reading a, a counseling book by Jay Adams. Uh, he had a little commentary on the book of James, and uh, Mr. Adams was a part of the biblical counseling movement back in the 1980s and 1990s, and he provided a great service for, for teachers and pastors. And uh, he made this observation from the book of James that one of the basic problems that we have as people is that we, we have a great desire for being whole, and that's a direct uh, result of sin. And he said, you know, as you look at the basic premise of the book of James, James was telling us that if we are in the midst of trials, trials are intended to create a steadfastness and attachment to God so that we become whole, we become perfect and entire. This is the goal of the trials that we experience. If we persevere through them, we begin to have a, a paradigm shift in which our, our eyes of the heart begin to observe our Heavenly Father and find our completeness in Him, our wholeness. Perfect and complete in James chapter 1. We've maybe memorized that verse a long time ago, but the words perfect and entire do not mean sinlessness refers to a person who has, uh, who has a completeness on all fronts. They have their faculties intact. I think we could think colloquially. We could say, you know, they, they're not running around with their head cut off. They're not like the wave of the sea that's tossed to and fro. They're able, they're complete, they're, they're whole. They're not frustrated by what they see in the short term. They see through and they see God. Now, I bring this up because the desire for wholeness is something that has transcended all time. And in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see an emphasis upon a desire of God for His people to be whole. That is to have peace, to have shalom. The Old Testament word peace and shalom is probably the most direct equivalent to the idea of wholeness, of, of having a peace that's free of the anxieties of the heart. 
Now, let's just take a moment to read the text, and before we consider uh, some of these truths and our proneness towards anxiety, Haggai chapter 2, I hope you were able to find it. Haggai chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through, through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens of the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place... I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Peace, wholeness, completeness. Some of us, I know, are more prone to anxiety than others, and I recognize that there is a genetic disposition that some of us inherit from our parents or grandparents. Yet the gospel teaches us that we are not captive to anxiety. We have a way of dealing with anxiety through trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, instructs us to turn intentionally towards him and away from ourselves in order to find the completeness, the wholeness that our hearts hunger for. Jesus uh, gives us the answer, and I see also in this text, and it may feel a little cloudy reading this to see how I may have observed some of these truths, but I, I was very convicted that in this text that the Holy Spirit is communicating a peace, a desire to a peace, for peace to a people who are caught in an anxious situation. They have the task of rebuilding the temple. They initially jumped right to it, they got all excited, they got the workforces out, they went up to the woods, and now, a month later, they're starting to question what they started. It's much bigger than what they had perhaps thought they were biting off, and they were getting anxious. And that's how it is. The task of renewal often is greater than we first anticipate, and we may be tempted at times to put the brakes on and say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be who God wants me to be. Now, they were looking at their resources. And so you see in the teaching here, the, the word from Haggai, 
silver, gold. They were anticipating shortfalls. They, they just they, they couldn't bring this all together. They didn't have skilled workmen. What were they going to do? And so often we have to analyze in our own hearts when we think of renewal. We don't have the resources to be renewed. We have to be dependent upon God for the grace to be renewed in our own hearts. I think about renewal, and I think many of us can get really anxious about changes. We, we may have an anxiety at times, and we get frustrated, and we would say, I'm never going to be able to overcome an addiction to, say, pornography. I may not ever be able to get over the bitterness that I feel towards I, I can't guard my tongue. Every time I open my mouth, I say something. And we can get anxious and just throw in the towel and say, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it. Whenever we take the time to make structural changes to our lives, we are going to face problems on the way towards wholeness. Any new circumstance feels overwhelming. <laughs> uh, you know, going from one stage of life to another is, is enough to overwhelm us. Thinking about parenting even, going from one stage from a newborn and then into like a junior higher, that could be very overwhelming for the soul. And you, you may come to the realization that you just don't have the resources to parent. Like, how am I going to... Where am I going to turn? And so instead of anxious thoughts, God actually wants us to have peace of heart and peace of mind. So in this text, I want us to notice as we move forward, I want us to see God's message to those who are ready to quit was to be strong, to be strong. In verse 4, he says it twice. It's kind of interesting. That's not what I would have thought I would have heard from somebody who was trying to encourage me. Uh, but instead it says, Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you. And then he also says, um, I'm sorry, I jumped at the beginning of the... I, I, I jumped too far. At the beginning of verse 4 it says, Yet now be strong. And then... In the middle, it says, be strong, all you people. And, and there's a, just a twofold push to kind of pull in together and to work, but not to be afraid. And they were to change their focus towards God who was promising the victory and the renewal. And I do see in this text, and I'm going to develop this through this message, that I believe that you can see in this text that God, and in our context, Jesus, gives us peace of mind when we look to Him with the eyes of faith. That's the conduit in which peace comes to us. It doesn't come from our internal reserves. It comes from a look to God and a transfer of peace to the heart. Faith is a very difficult word to define. There are probably as many viewpoints on faith as there are Christians. 
But I'm thankful that the scriptures do give us a definition of what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we read these words, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things which are not seen. And so, this is not something that is internal. It is an outward look, a, a vision towards that which cannot be seen with the naked eye. It is a disposition of the heart towards an external reality. Now, the word strong here, be strong, in the original, carries the idea of a frame of mind, of having a reference from the mind in a direction outside of oneself. A frame of mind, taking strength and purpose and pursuing, initiating something with fervor and diligence because the frame of mind has changed. And so I want us to see what it is that has caused that's the encouragement for the frame of mind to focus and to change from their own circumstances and to look outward. We're going to see the implication and where strength and peace comes from. Verses 1 through 4, I see here that, that Haggai is encouraging them to be strong, not in themselves, but in God, in the sovereignty of God. I mean, wouldn't it make sense for Haggai to console or express sympathy and maybe not put a lot of pressure on these people? I mean, they've just been through a lot. That's maybe where I would instinctively go if I was trying to be sympathetic. But what Haggai does is not say, you know, it's true. You've been through a lot. Instead, he says, look to God. Be strong. You're here for a very set purpose. You're here because God put you here at this time and in this place. He's talking to people who have come out of the exile and that in itself was a miracle. And so they ought to be taking strength in the midst of this situation and be strong in God and His sovereign purposes for their lives. I mean, it is so necessary to have the proper frame of mind. And it, I know we're reading the words that come from Haggai, but the very fact that Haggai is speaking to them a message from God Himself is significant. This is a communication that doesn't happen every day. This is a communication that was purposeful, directed to them for their situation. That encourages them to take courage in God who speaks, the one who, who is sovereign over all. It's so important to have a frame of mind whenever you pursue any overwhelming project. You really do need to count the cost before you start something. Um, especially if you're doing this mammoth project of building a temple. I mean, there's rocks that weigh several tons. And there's furnishings that need to be acquired to make it come to pass. And I think it's important to evaluate the circumstances before we start anything. And that... There's some wisdom to that. However, if we're not careful in our calculations, we might be asking the question, can I finish this thing? 
can I? And it's so important that we be careful that we're not being so self-referential. We have to make decisions about the future. However, we have to be careful that we're not worldly-minded, but that we're trusting in the sovereignty of God to carry out that which He has promised. If we're not careful, we can be unwise and worldly, as James talked about, in which we evaluate and say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet we do not know what tomorrow will bring. James asks, what is your life? Uh, It's so important that we do not become all self-referential in the decisions that we make. We have to be trusting in the sovereignty of God. This week, I went and saw my financial advisor. (laughs) He showed me a couple of analyst charts and uh, predictions of past performance and maybe future performance on different funds and whatnot. And then as we talked, I kept him longer probably than I should have. But the more he talked, the more he revealed. And he revealed to me, and I don't mean to take anything away. I actually think this is commendable. He said, I don't have enough skill to read and predict. He said, there are PhDs on Wall Street who analyze all of these things. And if we kind of tag on to some of their models, we hope to be able to become successful in how we we have an outcome. (laughs) You know, and it's, it's true. I mean, we have to entrust our hard-earned money to people who have a just a little bit better capacity to look at things than we do, right? We have to trust them. There's no way, though, that they can guarantee the future. There's absolutely no way that they can guarantee you a 20% return. It just doesn't happen. Well, maybe it did once upon a time. And so we do try to find trustworthy people, but even then people will let us down. And even the best, best financial advisors don't always hit everything right. No one can guarantee the future except who? God is the only one who can guarantee the future. I mean, hasn't this year taught us anything about our humanity? What have we learned about our self-sovereignty? Last year, in April, or in March, February, I was planning a trip to Nova Scotia. I had this thing all mapped out where we're going to go to Nova Scotia, take a boat, and come around, the da, 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 see all the stuff that I grew up with, blown out of the water. And I believe that much of our anxiety is because we don't have faith in the proper location. We cannot be strong because we're looking internally for our own sense of confidence. I love this quote by J. Vernon McGee, and I've used it before. Revel in this. This is God's universe. And God does things His way. You might have a better way, but you don't have a universe. You know, truthfully, we can get really precise about all of our financial instruments. And we have to rely on others, and we do trust others. But why is it that we have trouble trusting Jesus? 
Why is it that we have a hard time trusting in Him? You know, we look at it at the events of the world, and we look at our checkbooks, and we look at our calendar, and we look at the people around us, and we say things like, you know, I'm not sure if I can actually... I'm not sure this could... I'm not sure I could be a deacon. I'm not sure I could be an elder. I'm not sure I could reconcile that relationship. Is it because we're trying to rely upon our own wisdom, our own self-sovereignty to make our world happen? (laughs) See, the command to be strong and to work is directed to a very specific people in a very specific time and in a very specific place, and they have the blessing of God behind them like wind. This is what makes God's command to the people so impressive. Because God blesses what He commands. I think of what Jesus taught us and consider that the same blessing of the Almighty God who owns the universe is behind these commands. Commands like, if you are angry against a brother... Leave your offering at the altar and first be reconciled. I could, in my own self-sovereignty, say, oh, that will never happen. And the anxiety of obedience might pull us to the side and say, I can't do it. Be strong. Do the work. And you'll experience God's peace. If your right eye offends you and causes you to sin, tear it out. Get rid of it. I, I, can't, I can't overcome that. Are you looking at yourself? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Are we hedging our conversations to leave and out? Is it because we're anxious? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I couldn't do that. Yes, you can. The power of the Almighty God is behind you. You can do those things. The way might be painful, though. It will take work. Work hasn't hasn't ceased to be work since the fall. It's still work. But we must put our confidence not in ourselves, but we must put our confidence in the Lord who is sovereign over all and wants to bless these things. He is faithful to us. We have to be strong in the sovereignty of God, but we also need to be strong in the faithfulness of God. Verses 4, in the last part of verse 4, it says, Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. Be strong in the faithfulness of God. The strength of our faith is only as strong as our capacity to see who He really is. This is so critical to be able to visualize eternal realities of who God is and His character. We often have anxiety because we let the circumstances that we can see dictate how we think about God. 
God is not bound by the circumstances in our lives. He is faithful, and His character can be counted on. He's trustworthy. After the command to work here, notice that he hearkens back to the covenant. He says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. He said, my spirit still remains with you as it did back then. What covenant and what is this that he's talking about? Now, some translations will... If you have it, another translation, maybe it's the King James in your lap, you'll see the word, word. This is the word that I did back when you came out of Egypt. But the word there, there's a, there's a bunch of little words that come together, and it's hard translating, but it literally would be reading like this. If we used every single Hebrew word, it would say this. This is the word that I cut with you when you came out of Egypt. This is the word I cut with you. Cut. Cutting is part of a covenant ceremony. And the words that are expressed in that covenant ceremony are guaranteed by the cutting of an animal. The cutting of an animal in place of people. And when they would cut an animal and divide it in two, people would symbolically walk between the two pieces that are cut. And as they walk through them, it would be an indication that if either party would violate their word or their promise, that they would allow themselves to be cut into like those animals. That's pretty graphic. And what Haggai is saying here is, remember the covenant in which God demonstrated his commitment to you, it's binding. He is going to be cut in two, if you will, if he breaks his word or his commitment to you. And it's calculated to remind a discouraged people that God is faithful. It's even bigger than that. It's also a reminder that even before they had broken a commandment, even before they had broken a commandment and worshipped that golden calf at the bottom of Sinai, God had made this commitment to them. In Exodus 29, verse 45, God said, I will dwell among my people Israel and will be their God. They hadn't even yet committed that sin yet. And God told Moses, look, here is an architecture, here is a plan of sacrifice, of cutting animals in two, in anticipation that they are going to break my commandments. That's how faithful our God is. He anticipates that we are not able to keep covenant with Him, and He provides a solution for us. God knew in advance that Israel was not going to keep covenant with Him. And God was faithful to Israel before they even sinned. He had a plan to forgive their sin in advance. And this word from Haggai is intended to encourage a commitment to work and to grow and to change and to renew. And it's applicable to us as believers today. 
Consider this. Before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle. And before there was a tabernacle, there was an altar. And before there was an altar, there was a lamb. Peter said, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Ever before you broke one of God's commandments, he had already prepared a way. That is how faithful our God is. And he is still faithful. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does that help us have peace? That's almost a silly question, isn't it? (laughs) If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can. Nothing can. And when we break the bread and we, we pour out the wine, we give thanks for His broken body which was prepared for us before the foundation of the world. We're participating. We have an opportunity when we come to the table to let anxieties go, to let them go, and to live in confidence of His forgiveness of our sins. Anxiety ought to decrease the more aware we are of God's intention to keep His Word to us. And so when we look to Jesus, it does give us peace. It does give us peace as we look at Him with eyes of faith, knowing His character, knowing His sovereignty. But also in this text, I want us to see a third layer, if you will, in this communication that is a commitment of God to keep His promises in the future. This is also important for us to see. In verses 6 through 9, we have a really interesting declaration that God will shake the nations, that He will uh, shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Literally, the universe that God owns, He's going to shake that universe, right? Just like you shake the piggy bank to see if there's anything left in there. God's going to shake the universe, and all the gold and the silver is going to trickle out. That's an amazing communication. Amazing. There's several layers here, okay? When you go to the Old Testament and you see prophecy and you see the teaching of Scripture, you're seeing at times prophetic utterance that goes beyond the local situation, the local communication. There's several layers. In fact, uh, It says there once more, in verse uh, 6, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake. I will shake all the nations. Once more. That implies that there was an earlier time, doesn't it? There was an earlier shaking. What's that referring to? Well, that's referring to when Israel had come up, up out of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai. And they were standing at the base of the mountain. And God spoke, and the, the ground quaked. There was a shaking. And when he spoke, it sounded like a trumpet blaring, and people were overwhelmed with the holiness of God. People were overwhelmed. How do I know this? 
to be the case. Well, I know this because in Haggai, in Haggai you have, or excuse me, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, when we were working through Hebrews, this is what drew my thoughts to this, this uh, little book of Haggai. In Hebrews 12, that, that was used by the, by the uh, writer of Hebrews, and it drew my attention because the author in that case was saying, there's going to be another time when the Lion of Judah is going to roar, and all of reality will be ripped apart. He was communicating the, the future hope of Christ's return and the rending of reality and being exposed to the holiness of God in a destructive way. He's communicated that our God is a consuming fire. And he encouraged people to be listening to the soft tones of the gospel now before it's too late when God will rend and he will shake again the universe and bring judgment to the world. So that's another layer. When the author here is speaking, he's speaking about the filling up of the temple and bringing them all the resources to them locally. But there's such a long view taking place here that the author of Hebrews saw this as well. And said there's coming a day when their voice of God will shake the universe and bring judgment upon the world. It's a remarkable statement. A remarkable statement. Now, to those who were building the temple... In the immediate situation, God is able to shout, Haggai says, and all the silver and gold and all the treasures of the world can come rolling into the temple. Not to diminish the work that they're participating. They're working hard to build this temple, that's for sure. But God is able to, to shake and do anything that he, he wants to do. But there's another layer here that I want us to consider. The local layer, the future layer. But there was a person who came and walked upon the earth who was, was like a temple. His name was Jesus. Many in his day thought that the temple that that Jesus was walking in was the most magnificent temple that had ever been built. They actually thought that the temple that they were walking in was the answer to Haggai's prophetic view. And Jesus said to them, I can destroy this temple and three days I will raise it up. And what Jesus was saying there is that I am the full expression of God's temple, the place where God's presence dwells. I am the place where true worship occurs. I am the one who can bring the gold and the silver from the nations of the earth. I am the one who can complete what you think you can't complete. It's remarkable that Jesus could communicate that truth. And then in the work of the apostles, many of the gold and silver of the nations 
started to come to Christ the temple. Jesus is the true temple. And as the gospel is proclaimed, there is a shaking. There is a shaking going on so that the heart is convicted of sin. And there is a responsiveness to come to the true temple, to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's another layer that's going on in this communication. There's another layer layer that's not even fulfilled yet in this. I I don't know, it's been remarkable to watch the, uh, the things that have been happening in the news this past week. I don't know if anyone else has been paying attention. I've tried to shut down the news a little bit since uh, January, but I could not avoid how relatively unmolested Israel has been for the last four years, and then all of a sudden, rockets are being fired. And did anyone see the videos of the Iron Dome? And the and the, the thousands of rockets that are coming in, and then all of these uh, interceptor rockets were coming up and destroying them in midair. It looked like a big fireworks show. It was absolutely impressive. Now, I recognize that we had a period of about four years of peace before any of this started to heat up again. But the reality is, God's people will not have total peace until the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, sits on the temple mount, the true temple, and rules and reigns for a thousand years. That is a day which is still yet to come. There are so many layers to this communication to put one's focus and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in their own situation. They're having a struggle to build the temple. They think it's all dependent upon them. No, God can call all the resources for their disposal. Jesus, in his own life and ministry, with the power of the gospel, is able to pull peoples and nations together to worship him. We have anticipated a day when Christ will return, and we will see peace on the earth. What a glorious day that's going to be. I began this sermon by talking about anxiety and a thirst for wholeness. When we're filled with anxiety, we are not at peace, we are not at rest. We're not whole. But Jesus wants us to have peace. He wants us to be perfect and complete, as James told us. You know, just this week, the CDC changed their guidance again. This crisis that we went through was built on once in a century. How do they know? How do they know? Just like talking to my financial supervisor, how do we know anything about tomorrow? Many Christians were reluctant to say this, but we really need to look at what we went through Look at all of it. Is it possible that God was shaking our American universe? I'm pretty sure that this was a wake-up call to remind us about the seriousness of which God desires for us to have peace, not in our circumstances, 
but in him. Don't take comfort in your circumstances. I know that we, we've been given a beautiful thing. We've been given opportunity for mitigation. Vaccinations are ramped up. But don't put your confidence in those things. Put them in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has a universe. You don't have a universe. We might not like what He does, but we know that He's faithful. He is committed to us before we've ever sinned. And He has a way forward through the wilderness, that, and He will take us to a place of peace. We have to put ourselves into His hands so that we might be strong. So be strong. Be strong in His sovereignty. Be strong in His faithfulness. Be strong in His promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for time together in the Word. I ask, dear Lord, that You would work deeply within our hearts to give us the wholeness that our our hearts desire. There are so many ways in which we can lose our sense of peace and anxiety. I pray, dear Lord, that when we feel those sense of anxiety, that we would then turn over anxieties over to you. We would cast them upon you, knowing that you care for us. So, Lord, I ask that you would strengthen our hearts for the task. Renew us according to your word. We know that you are a good and faithful God. Help us to live in the reality of that truth. In your name we pray. Amen.